Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. As those are able to please stand for our first lesson, it comes from the Psalms. And we'll be looking at Psalm 103, beginning in the first verse. And listen now to the Word of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. And this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We turn now to our second lesson. It's in the New Testament. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, those who are able are invited to stand out of respect for God's Word. As it comes to us in the fifth chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. Listen to God's Word. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Not only is this so, 
But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please indulge me for a moment of personal privilege to say uh, thank you for all of the birthday wishes. I am counting every birthday, and they are coming more quickly. And I also want to, um, to say a word of welcome and appreciation to the best parents in the whole world. And my mom and dad are worshiping with us today here in the sanctuary, and so I welcome, I welcome them as they come to help celebrate my 39th birthday with me. And my much older sister is with them as well, and I want to <laughs> welcome her. I also want to take a moment of personal privilege and uh, extend uh, greetings and prayers to the best mother-in-law in the world. Uh, Sarah Lemon is one of the faithful viewers through the internet capacity of televising broadcasting our worship service, and she watches every Sunday. And uh, she would not want me to call attention to her, but Sarah, we know that you're watching today and that uh, you've had a little health issue, and our prayers are with you, and we know that God is going to see you through, and we love you. Now, it has been said in a little song of this season, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Bah humbug. Particularly if you're a Georgia or an Auburn fan, this is not the most wonderful time of the year. I was listening to the wrap-up on the radio of the Georgia game yesterday afternoon, and one of the commentators said, with that loss, over half the state of Georgia had its Christmas ruined. Well, regardless of whether your team won or not, you can't really ruin Christmas. And this is now a new Christian year the first Sunday in Advent, and we go into this time of anticipating and preparing for Christmas. And we are going to do all of the things that we normally do at First Presbyterian, uh, wonderful classes, an Advent luncheon series that you've heard about, the tree lighting coming up this Wednesday, lessons and carols by the choir. We're going to uh, have our big Christmas breakfast that we normally have and our two worship services on Christmas Eve. All of that awaits us. And today, as part of the Advent season on this first Sunday of Christmas, we launch a new sermon series that's entitled Comprehending Christmas. If you'll notice on the cover of your bulletin, the beautiful artwork and the accompanying passage from Ephesians in the third chapter, where in the 18th verse, Paul says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. Christmas, when you think about it, is very difficult to comprehend. This amazing love of God that is demonstrated to us in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. God would send His only Son, His perfect Son, His precious Son, for us in our salvation. So this morning we will ask the question, how wide is God's love? 
And then we will deal with the other dimensions of long, high, and deep in the Sundays to come. But as we approach that question in God's Word, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Amazing God, Your love is too difficult for us to comprehend. And so we ask for Your help as we consider the wideness of Your love today. Send Your Holy Spirit that our human minds might be transformed in a way that we would better understand the breadth of Your love for us and that we would receive in a new way the power and the truth of Your love and live it out by the gift of Your Spirit today and in the days to come. We lift this prayer in the holy and precious name of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. How wide is God's love? When my girls were much younger, we used to play this little game. How much do I love you? And with my girls at that very young age, I would say, how much do I love you? Do I love you this much? 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 Yes. And the game would usually then end in this large, wonderful embrace of one of my precious daughters. There came a time when the game needed to be changed up just a little bit, so I added a wrinkle to it. That when I got to this place, do I love you this much? Then I would say, do I love you this much? 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 And then I would explain, my arms are not long enough to show you how much I love you. And so my arms are stretching out to the walls and outside the window and down the street and around the corner and across the oceans. My arms are stretching all the way around the world and they're coming back right here. Do I love you this much? How wide is God's love? In thinking about this question, it reminded me of a song. In thinking about this game, it reminded me of this song. It came out in 2000 by a a rock group named Creed. It was during the grunge phase of rock and roll. And, And... My girls were very young at this time in in 2000, and and Creed wrote this song. Uh, Scott Stapp wrote the lyrics to this song that hit number one on the rock and roll charts in 2000. And the title of the song is With Arms Wide Open. And Scott Stapp wrote this song upon getting the news that he was going to be a father for the first time. And the lyrics to the song go like this, Well, I just heard the news today. It seems my life is going to change. I close my eyes, begin to pray, then tears of joy stream down my face. And the chorus with arms wide open. Under the sunlight, 
Welcome to this place. I'll show you everything with arms wide open. Now everything has changed. I'll show you love. I'll show you everything with arms wide open. With arms wide open. And it is true that we want to show our children everything and we want to watch them learn and grow and embrace and take in the best of all that is this life. But the sad truth is if you're like me, my arms have been anything but wide open. When was the last time that you opened your arms wide? Do that now. Just stretch your arms out. Don't whack the person next to you. How does that feel? It's a pretty vulnerable posture, isn't it? With arms wide open. But these days, it's been feeling more like closed arms, clutched fist, protective posture, because the reality is that, that we live in a harsh world, a fallen world that is dangerous. And I've had to teach my girls to guard themselves, to protect themselves, to beware, to watch out. Let's face it, it's a cruel world. There's a lot of evil, and there's some bad people out there. And if we show our children the, the world with arms wide open, they're going to get hurt. There are any number of places that we could look in, in our community, in the world, in the news to find illustrations of this harsh world. Dominating the news of late has been Ferguson. We don't even have to say Missouri anymore. You can just say Ferguson and you know what people are talking about. This past week, we have been watching, a week of a Thanksgiving, we have been watching as the news continues to, to develop. The news that was sparked by the shooting death of an 18-year-old Michael Brown back in August in an altercation with a police officer, Darren Wilson, who just recently in a new development has resigned his post as a law enforcement officer. But it has dominated the news all of this time since August, and particularly of late with the verdict of the grand jury in Ferguson handed down that there was no indictment of the officer. And it's been a flashpoint of racial unrest in our country. It is a crucible of a larger issue that we still deal with in this day and in this time and in this country, cries for justice that there is still a distance between people, a distance between races. And yes, so much has changed, but so much is still broken. We've seen this captured in videotape and footage of people standing on either side of protests and picket lines. We can look at other places in the world where there are similar divides over social issues, the political divide, the chasm between rich and poor, Democrats, Republicans, Jews and Muslims, and Christians and Christians. There is a divide. There is no peace. 
There is no shalom. There is mistrust. There is a wide, broad, deep chasm between us. In the onslaught of the media deluge over the Ferguson scenario, one piece has surfaced. It's like a voice crying in the wilderness, as Isaiah says, but it's not the voice of a prophet. At least, he didn't think he was a prophet. Actually, he's a football player. His name is Benjamin Watson. He used to play for the University of Georgia. He now plays for the New Orleans Saints. And in the wake of all that was going on in Ferguson on Monday night, he decided that he needed to write down his thoughts about what was happening. And yes, Benjamin Watson is African-American. How many of you are aware of his viral post that has been shared? Many of you. And if you haven't read it, I suggest that you do. There was even a, a, a writer for the Ledger Inquirer that encouraged us to do so. I'd seen it earlier in the week. But here is what Benjamin Watson wrote. At some point while I was playing or preparing to play Monday night football, the news broke about the Ferguson decision. After trying to figure out how I felt, I decided to write it down and hear my thoughts. I'm angry because the stories of injustice have been passed down for generations and they seem to be continuing before our very eyes. I'm frustrated because pop culture, music, and movies glorify these types of police and citizen altercations and they promote an invincible attitude that continues to get young men killed in real life away from the safety of movie sets and music studios. I'm fearful because in the back of my mind I know that although I'm a law-abiding citizen, I could still be looked upon as a threat to those who don't know me. So I will continue to have to go the extra mile to earn the benefit of the doubt. I'm embarrassed because of the looting and the violent protest and law-breaking only conform, confirm in the minds of many and validate stereotypes and thus inferior treatment. I'm sad because another young life was lost from his family and the racial, racial divide has widened and the community is in shambles. Accusations, insensitivity, hurt, hatred are boiling over. And we may never know the truth about what happened that day. I'm sympathetic because I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Darren Wilson acted within his rights and duty as an officer of the law and killed Michael Brown in self-defense like any of us would in a similar circumstance. Now he has to fear the backlash against himself and his loved ones when he, has on, when he was only doing his job. What a horrible thing to endure. Or, or maybe he provoked Michael and ignited a series of events that led him eventually murdering the young man to prove a point. I'm offended because of insulting comments I've seen that are only insensitive but dismissive to the painful experience of others. He goes on, I'm confused. I'm introspective. I'm hopeless. All these emotions that we can identify with. But then he comes to the end of his post and he says, I am hopeful. 
Because I know while we still have race issues in America, we enjoy a much different normal than those of our parents and our grandparents. I see it in my personal relationships with teammates, friends, and mentors, and it's a beautiful thing. And then Benjamin Watson says, I'm encouraged. Because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist and prejudiced and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason that we riot and loot and burn. But I am encouraged because God has proved a solution for sin through His Son, Jesus, and with it a transformed heart and mind one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, for Trayvon Martin, for other tragedies he lists is not education or exposure. The cure is the Gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the Gospel gives mankind hope. I believe that Benjamin Watson has it right. It's not a skin problem, he says. It is a sin problem. It's not about skin color. It's not about political orientation. It's not about social strata. It is about sin, about our disobedience, our pride, our willfulness, our selfishness, our brokenness. Yes, it is about the sin of a fallen world and our own sin that separates us. Separates us from each other. Separates us from God. Separates us even from ourselves to make us double-minded and working against the best that God intends for us. Now maybe you are thinking at this point, well, I didn't come to church on the first Sunday in Advent to hear this. But the truth is, unless we deal with the reality of sin, Christmas is going to be a sugary five or six week partial high like taking a painkiller to numb us for the season, and then when we get beyond it, nothing will have changed. And there will still be distance between us. And there exists a wide gap between us and our brothers and sisters, between us and our true selves, and between us and a holy, righteous, merciful God Yes, we live in a broken world with broken relationships and broken selves. We need a theology of brokenness, says Ronald Rollheiser that I was reading some weeks ago. And in a passage from Forgotten Among the Lilies that he has written, he says, if the Christian faith that I was raised with had a fault, 
And it did. It was precisely that it did not allow for mistakes. It demanded that you get it right the first time. There was supposed to be no need for a second chance. If you made a mistake, you lived with it. Like the rich young man. You were doomed to be sad, at least for the rest of your life. A serious mistake was a permanent stigmatization. A mark that you wore like Cain. And I've seen that mark on all kinds of people, he says. On divorcees, on alcoholics, on addicts, on embezzlers, on swindlers. A mark on people who have had abortions, who have married, who married people who have had affairs, people who have had children outside of marriage, parents who have made serious mistakes with their children, and countless others who have made serious mistakes. There is too little around to help them. We need a theology of brokenness. We need a theology which teaches us that even though we cannot unscramble an egg, God's grace lets us live happily with renewed and transformed innocence beyond any egg we may have scrambled no matter how scrambled our lives may be. We need a theology that teaches us that God does not just give us one chance, but that every time we close a door or turn away, He opens another door or comes looking for us. My friends, this is what Christmas is about. About the reach of a God of infinite love and amazing grace that, 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 that spans across the divide, the chasm that is created by our sin and the separation that results from it. And Paul says it this way, that at the right time, while we were still sinners, while we were powerless, not able to help the situation in the world, powerless to help what was going on in someone else's life, powerless to help even ourselves. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God and Jesus Christ came across the distance that is between heaven and earth. Came across the distance between our sin and God's holiness came across the distance and spanned the chasm between our lostness and God's love and reached out to us at Christmas in this incomprehensible way. And God demonstrated His love for us by sending us His only Son, His precious Son, His perfect Son, His innocent Son, His infant Son for us to shed His blood and die while we were still sinners. While we were enemies of God, enemies of others, and even enemies to ourselves. But despite all of this, God has in Christ reconciled us to God, to others, and to ourself. God has put us back together in Jesus Christ. Yes, it is the sin of the world. Yes, it is our own sin that put Jesus on the cross. But it is God's love that held Him there with arms wide open. And that is God's posture toward us. In Jesus Christ, 
arms wide open, how much more vulnerable can you get? Sending His only, His beloved, His innocent, His infant Son into this cruel and violent and evil world. When trying to imagine this, I thought back to the course that I took in college in Northern Renaissance painting. And if you know anything about that era in history, those great painters of that day most often picked up the motif of the nativity. I looked at dozens of those paintings of the Holy Family in a pastoral scene and the baby in the manger and the baby was always naked and outstretched. How much more vulnerable can you get? Yet that is the way that Jesus came to us and comes to us with arms wide open to the sick, to the lame, to the lost, to the poor, to the outcast, to the rich, to the powerful, to the Samaritan woman, to the rich young ruler, to Democrats, to Republicans, to black, to white, to liberal conservative, to Pentecostals, to frozen chosens. With arms wide open, and there is hope in His coming. There is even hope in Ferguson. In reading a blog written by Pastor Jim Dennison, I found this hope. He asked the question, the title of, of his post, Is God at Work in Ferguson? And then he goes on to say, a reader in St. Louis recently sent me an email on the Ferguson response, and you can go Google the Ferguson response to learn more about this. Their website tells the story, he writes. A great spiritual awakening is emerging in middle America. In the midst of great pain and turmoil, many are finding hope and healing through the love of Jesus Christ as He is exalted above the escalating crisis surrounding the confrontation between Officer Darren Wilson and Michael Brown. Since October 4, thousands of Christians across the nation have united with believers from across the St. Louis metro area and the citizen of Ferguson through corporate fasting, extended praise, worship, and radical expressions of biblical love. And together, we are entreating the Lord for mercy to restrain lawlessness and establish His righteousness and justice in our nation and to bring reconciliation. How wide is God's love for us in Jesus Christ? It is wide enough to span the divide between us and our neighbors, between us and God, and even within ourselves. How much does God love us? Does God love us this much? 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 God loves us this much. And His arms meet as He wraps them around the entire creation and around us wherever we may be. 
And we are called to live in the same way, with arms wide open. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.